patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicate to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone and welcome to episode 105 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host Sherman Tylosky. Thank you all so much for joining me for the second episode of September 2022. I hope you are having a great week so far and I want to take a moment to once again thank our Patreon supporters especially for their incredible support. Um, you can join at, on our Patreon link down in the show notes below if you'd like to contribute and to the production of Friends and Fellow Citizens. And also, obviously, thank you to all of the listeners, as usual. Um, it really gives me so much purpose of making this show, and that's what we're going to be touching upon today as we mark two years since we launched this podcast. I can't believe it's been two years already. I've tell, told a lot of people about this. We just had our episode 100 several weeks ago, actually a couple months ago from the release of this episode. It's still hard to believe that we are in the triple-digit zone, and it's all because of all of you, and I want to particularly thank all those who have made this podcast possible, have supported me throughout this whole journey, many more episodes to come. What is unique about this episode is that it wasn't fully conceived until about a few days ago. I initially had some other plans on what to cover for this month's solo episode, But recent events have obviously changed that. But the first thing that I want to get to is to recognize the incredible interview episodes that we've done over the past year. We've had so many more different voices and different opinions on some very, very key issues that are not only facing America, but also facing the world. Last year, in August 2021, I was able to put together a compilation of year one And that was actually very successful, very popular. So we're doing again this year. So now here are the highlights from our interview episodes for year two of Friends and Fellow Citizens. What people really crave is authenticity. Because, for example, I, I submit that the reason that Dave Chappelle is gangbusters uh, successful is because Dave Chappelle says the truth out loud. And and you don't you don't have to agree with him, but you do have to respect the fact that he he risks everything every night. So at the same time that people are pretending to be something that they're not, what they crave is real realness. The new diversity, the the legacy diversity, where things like race or gender or ethnicity, th- those are legacy issues. This younger generation has already moved beyond that, but they have an expectation of communication. Language is the new diversity. If we can get to the point where we can communicate effectively, then it's amazing how much more productive, efficient, and effective we can be. Above all, we need to be bringing people into the Marine Corps with with their key talent being language. No newsroom is perfect and that's the nature of the news you know you're writing the first draft and they do get things wrong we all have our own 
biases. You have to have that realization um, that no source is going to be perfect. But I can tell you, um, in public broadcasting, they're trying to do their best. They're working in earnest to try to try to generate um, news around the clock that you can use and is reliable and and is is an honest um, portrayal of the world that we live in. Hopefully that sparks a new national unity because we're Americans, doggone it. We do space better than everyone else. Hands down, we always have. You know, if we reopen the, the frontier, the American frontier spirit will come back and it will come back in a bipartisan fashion because we're Americans before we're Democrats or Republicans. There's so much to it that I cannot explain in interview, but there's so much to be done because unfortunately, Socialism is turning into a trend right now. It's turning into a trend that it's uh, unfortunate and it's a false ideology that they are presenting right now. And uh, the younger generation should know about this. The high schools should know. Even middle schools should know the, the truth of what's going on and what's happening right now in America and all over the world. I think after November, we're going to see a wave of candidates who are elected based very very exclusively on this idea of parents and parents wanting to make sure they have the right to parent their kids the way they see fit. Um, and, and I think that is a, that could be a Republican, Republican or a Democrat candidate. This, is a, this should be a nonpartisan issue. Every parent from all walks of life want to be empowered to advocate for their kids and they want to be able to have the say in what happens to their kids in education and medical decisions. I don't see that stopping. Because parents are parents are sick of it, and, and they are going to protect their kids. It was such a drastic spike that the suicide hotline was putting people on hold. And that's something that should never happen. Because people that had served their 20 years, 4 years to 20 years, they, um, they felt like their work in Afghanistan was diminished. That's where the Irreverent Warriors and some of these other organizations come in, because if you can't get in touch with one, Maybe you can get in touch with the next, or the next, or the next, or even calling a battle buddy, just to keep going one more day. Well, if your plan is to not attend a post-secondary school, you do not plan to go to college, then why waste your time going through four years of high school, when out of those four years, you can be learning a skilled trade to make you successful, to set you up for success after you graduate. So understanding the financial commitment you're making is important and what kind of programming can we do as not only just a single state, but as a nation to provide resources to these students who maybe aren't going to be college bound. He wanted to understand as a business guy, like where does our country stand on this issue of poverty? And Steve said, this is crazy. If it takes six months for me to pull this information about a single topic, how hard must it be for our government leaders, who we would hope would be making data-driven decision by the numbers of, uh, is our country headed in the right or wrong direction? Or for a voter who is trying to make a decision of, you know, do I reelect this incumbent? Understanding that, that we are all gonna have these different experiences. And, you know, again, we might not always agree with each other, but if we're gonna achieve these things like, patriotism and national unity we have to recognize that we're all all part of one uh community even if the individual communities we live in are very different and maybe unrecognizable to each other 
George Washington is one of my favorite founding fathers. He had chance to be asked to be the king, a new king after the Revolutionary War. He said no. You know Chinese history. How many rebels took over, killed the old emperors, and make themselves new emperors? For thousands of years, dynasty changes. But George Washington said, "No, that's not what I fought for." I changed my face, my LinkedIn profile to read "Embrace Civility," and I did that、uh, purposely, and I still believe、uh, in doing it today. We've got to become a more civil society. Imagine what we could accomplish by being more civil. We give each other a break and start talking with each other instead of at each other. There are people that you love and that you know very well, and that are genuinely good people. But they can believe something politically that's totally different from you, and really clashes with your own personal beliefs about the way you think society should be run. And trying to reconcile those two different pieces, I think that's you know a constant struggle that many people can relate to. Looking at people on an individual level and not just making assumptions of oh they voted this way, so they must also believe all of these other things. Because I mean I think we've all voted for people. That you know, we like them the most out of the group, but it doesn't mean we agree with every single policy that they propose. Particularly in the、uh, new age of terrorism after 9/11, I felt that we needed to have a greater public awareness of who we are in the clandestine service, who we are in the intelligence community, and what it is that we do, because the American people don't know. And I didn't think that was a good thing because I believe in a in an open democratic society. I believe that our people have a right to know to the extent that we don't violate any tradecraft secrets or put people's lives in jeopardy. What it is that we're doing? We, as intelligence officers, are doing it for you. We're doing it for the American people, and we think the American people should have a voice in how we carry out our job, particularly. In fighting terrorism, the message that I try to share on my channel is that you can have the life that you want. You you can change your circumstances. You don't have to just resort to scamming. You can use your talents and you can figure out ways to improve your life and improve your family's life and improve your country.、Um, you know, you can start small, but you can make a difference. And that's kind of the the message that I want to share on my YouTube channel.、Um, that scammers, there, there's a better way to live. And so, we we know that because of Joel's story. Joel taught us that. Journalists can be really excited by how many people follow them on Twitter and whether they're getting retweets from important, you know, players in politics or whatever else. And and that can be distracting from the role. It because what we're supposed to be is,、um, you know. Someone who's spending their time finding out information that would make their audiences' lives better, help their audience understand more about the world around them. Like that—that's our function overall. Back to that, making it a story, and it's all about making connections. You know, the United States was in World War One for basically eleven months, and yet, you know, there were nearly three hundred thousand casualties, a hundred thousand U.S. servicemen lost their life. So the stories of the service and sacrifice, 
you know, it's it's not about the number, but it's about the stories of, of those, you know, those those soldiers and sailors and, and what they did. If you make history more of a story and less a lot of memorization of names and dates and things, history becomes a lot more interesting. Something that she would often say is, uh, knowledge of democracy is not passed down through the gene pool. You have to actually teach it to each generation anew. And that's precisely why she founded iCivics. Now, Justice O'Connor is a brilliant woman. She went to the experts and said, tell me what you need. And they said, we need innovative, engaging, off the shelf, ready to go solutions. Don't give us another textbook. Don't give us a whole learning package, just really great sort of plug and play resources. You have to figure out how to work with our allies to give them those types of capabilities because the logistics are not in our favor. I mean, they had to go to Taiwan, they got a hundred miles. For us to go to Taiwan, we've got thousands of miles and there's a lot of alligators in that swamp before you can get there. And so ground forces are not the way you're going to defend it and uh, the amount of naval assets that we have uh, in the next 10 or 20 years unless we do something, are certainly going to be inadequate on a one-for-one -one basis. Have to come up with different policies and strategies to address this concern. And then I think also with local government is there's no mandate for a time in which you need to get involved. You can get involved if you're seven years old or 77 years old. There's there's no there's nothing stopping you from getting involved in politics and it can be as much or as little as you want. And that's where state and local is so important because those are really the laboratories for, for thought process and, and and the starting point. Sometimes significantly more impactful than meeting with your federal delegation is meeting with state and local where the actions happen. Although they decide cases based on their preferences, they have to support it with legal reasoning and Supreme Court precedent. But I definitely think there's no question since, since when I started teaching judicial politics till now, students are not not clouded over with this myth of legality like they used to be. And I think a lot of that is not necessarily due to the decisions that has been made by the justices. I think a lot of it is due to how uncivil the nomination and confirmation process has become. And then the other part of it would be how willing everybody is to just be joyful around the holiday time. And people are hyper-focused on giving and and receiving as well, because when, when you're getting a gift, you're, you're receiving and sometimes people aren't always open to that. So it's just a great time for connecting all around. My biggest advice, I guess, would be to don't miss that. Be present in that moment and um, give and receive all holiday season. I would like to see the American government give more cybersecurity capabilities to protect Taiwan's critical infrastructure from China. So I think that's the number one thing that will solve a lot of the influence in Taiwan. They need to secure the, their election servers. They don't have this technology they needed from the US. And so the best thing that the US can do is to support Taiwan technically. 
the good is not in being able to perfectly memorize a creed or, or the process of even winning. The good of what we do comes from the words inside the creed, comes from what we believe in, in our character, in, in our, our values. And so that just literally changed my entire mindset about FFA, about what I was doing in life and about what I could do in life. And so the reason I joined was to win, but the reason I stayed is because I, I believe in the organization so wholeheartedly. Well, there you have it. Our episode highlights this past year for year two. And I once again just want to recognize the incredible work that our guests have made behind the scenes to prepare for each of those episodes. And I know that all of you are keen to see and listen to our guests for this upcoming year three of Friends and Fellow Citizens. Like I said, this episode was supposed to be very different. But just within the past few days, the world lost an incredible icon. Queen Elizabeth II was no doubt the best version of who we are as human beings. She exemplified tremendous sacrifice, extraordinary service, and displayed the virtues that people to this day still want to believe in and live out in their lives. I've been thinking about my time in the UK when I was in college. I've attended King's College London from 2015 to 2018. And those three years really taught me a lot about not just political science or philosophy, the subjects I studied back in in those days. It taught me about an institution that I never grew up with, but one that our country started with. The constitutional monarchy really spoke very, very deeply to me because even though I, I'm living in in America. There's never really an experience or any sort of recollection of living under a constitutional monarchy. But the the number one lesson I took away when I was there and I got to live in the country under a constitutional monarchy, the number one thing I felt was that the monarchy represented stability and virtue. It represented an institution that people could look up to amidst the fracas that can go on in British politics. If you ever, anyone of you ever watched Prime Minister's Questions, you know exactly what I'm saying. I have always conversed with my fellow friends in Britain. I've always revered the, the Queen and the monarchy. And it's, it's really astonishing to, to see the a tremendous service that Queen Elizabeth has lived for for all these decades. For 70 plus years, she served as the longest reigning British monarch, surpassing Queen Victoria. What is fascinating to me is that when she was young, she was not initially going to be an heir to the throne. But after an abdication and after her father passed away, she was called to serve in one of the most important constitutional capacities in the world. She took on that position in 1952. 
And for again, 70 plus years, she has exemplified the best of what a humanity has to offer. I think about how divided we are as a nation, as a world, on so many different key issues, particularly in the West. But amidst all that, we can still look up to an institution and to an individual who well, many people don't really know about in terms of her positions or her thoughts on key issues. But that is what's what's so interesting is that that is what makes Queen Elizabeth II such a great example for our generation and for future generations. By maintaining that stability, I I believe that as much as people are divided, as much as people are tribal, both in nature and in practice, people want stability. They want institutions. They want things to last beyond just their lives. They want to leave something for future generations. That has been a very key lesson that I got from my time in the UK, knowing how crazy politics can be. And I'm certainly in the world of that, of studying political science. But when one steps back and thinks back on the virtues, thinks back on the significance of, of public service, you get to you get to look around more. You get to appreciate more of where you're living. And I like to tie this a bit back into our podcast. Queen Elizabeth II it represents an institution and a, a rock, as, as many people have put it. Uh, societies need that rock. They need that foundation. And I, I think it's, in a sense, it's good timing for this podcast because I feel that I fear that America is losing its rock by not understanding its past, by not understanding the founding fathers and of George Washington. George Washington obviously was not a king. There were certainly people who wanted him to be one, but he, as the first as and the only nonpartisan president we've had, represented a rock, a solid foundation. Imagine what people, how people reacted when he announced that he was not going to run for a third term, that he wanted to set that two-term precedent that lasted all those years up until Franklin Roosevelt. I couldn't help but think about the importance of that rock institution. And that's what we need. If there's anything that we take away from this past, past week or so, really the past few days, it's that as much as as much as we feel divided, we we are much more united than we think on searching for that common unity. That is really a really powerful sensation. And I just like to recognize that for this episode. It's a very simple takeaway, but our societies need that rock. We we should never forget that. I like to close by recognizing that yesterday was the 21st anniversary of 9-11. The Queen had some very, very touching words to share with Americans. She valued the special relationship, which again is one of the the many things that I admire about Queen Elizabeth. She said that grief is the price we pay for love. On September 11th, 
it's always a very difficult time and somber time for Americans as we think about the tragic events that happened on September 11, 2001. Thinking about how a monarch from a very close ally of ours to share those kind words and really cement that common bond that we have with the United Kingdom. I always tell my my friends in the UK and, and really just people from the from the Commonwealth, whether my Canadian friends or people I know from Australia or New Zealand, I, I always when we talk about foreign affairs, I always say how important it is to maintain these special relationships, relationships that we have amongst each other in these Anglophone countries. And I've, I just want to recognize how critical it is for us to recall um, Queen Elizabeth and her incredible dedication and knowledge of, of diplomacy and of not just, not just diplomatic transactions, but for diplomatic relations, the relationship, the, the two-way street that matters in diplomacy. I, f- I felt that that was such a, a critical quote that we, we think about. I will certainly be thinking about that quote a lot more. And I'd just like to take this moment to express my solidarity, our solidarity with the people of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. And we will dearly miss her. We will never see another person like this again. But I am so grateful, especially within the last few days, I'm just especially grateful. I've had that opportunity to attend King's College London as an institution, obviously named after <laughs> named after a monarch, uh, George the Fourth, chartered by George the Fourth, and I've, I'll, I always find that very very special. And Queen Elizabeth II helped make that even more special for all of us. God save the King, and may we always remember the legacy of Queen Elizabeth II. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week and month. We will see you all next month with our next interview episode. And always remember that a day in America is always better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.